The biggest threat to why black people are not succeeding, mm. and this is where I get on the liberals, is it's black people themselves. Nobody wants to have this conversation. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Prophetic Mentality Podcast. I am your host, Amr Mabrook. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Munir, as always. Lovely. And we have a very, very special guest joining us today, Imam Mark Manley, Imam of the Middle Ground Masjid in Upland, California. Um, it is a pleasure having you here this morning, Imam. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're so. doing fantastic and i've been looking forward to this episode for quite some time strap in man That's all I can say, man. <laughs> we it's have like a couple been having ibuprofen <laughs> take a percocet <laughs> we've been having riveting conversations since our pre-interview yesterday that could have been its own podcast and we've been talking already so i just had to actually pause i know i think we talked for about an hour yesterday and about 30 minutes 30, now 40 minutes now yeah, I mean, I just hope that SD cards don't get full. <laughs> when, you know, when you guys release the, uh, you know, the outtakes and the B-roll, you know, <laughs> it's just going to be me. Uh, it will definitely get canceled. Inshallah, looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Imam, yesterday, you know, we kind of touched base on the kind of topics we wanted to talk about. Um, and I think we said we wanted to start it off with, you, you, you did like like this long Instagram story post talking about Muslim academics, right? Or uh, Muslims in academia, is that, that was kind of- possible, you know, I post a lot of things. <laughs> it's hard to kind of keep track after a while, but that sounds like something I would do, yes. Yeah, um, and kind of how like the mentality of Muslims in academics, it's not, it's not like, it's not the same, you know, they don't have the same worldview as Muslims. And now, you know, these people are coming in with their ideologies and these kind of ideologies are being, um, you know, kind of, I mean, infiltrating the Muslim mind, right? And then people are copying, pasting, sharing these things. And, um, you know, this is not, let's see, where, where did we go with it? And he said, now that, now that we're, I'm recording, um, I lost the flow of the conversation. Well, I would say that <coughs> the thing with the Muslim academics that, that the common Muslim has to understand, and I don't, you know, I, don't, I can't even remember what I wrote because I write a lot and I talk a lot, probably way too much, but I'm an imam and that's just, that's what happens, you talk a lot. Um, I think if there's anything beneficial to, to keep in mind is that the Western Muslim academic has a different, uh, they have a different priority because their job is number one, and this is just academia. This is not the Muslim academic. This is just Western academics. It's mm -hmm. like a shark. You have to keep swimming or you die. You got to keep producing, you know, material or you you die. Right? They say publish or die. Right. Men so it's a die. kind of exactly. It's a publish or die type of thing, right? And you got to um, keep wanting up the other person to get clout. Is that kind of? No. Not only that. I mean, th that's maybe its own separate thing. But the other thing is also they have to then publish material that will to some extent appease right that paradigm or that setting and this isn't a shot against western academia but western academia doesn't look at islam as the truth it looks at it at best as a curiosity amongst other curiosities 
And so when they, hmm. when they come to their conclusions, when they make their work, right, they have to articulate that in that framework that will be appeasing to uh, a point of view that is, oh, this is an interesting thing. It probably didn't happen. Matter of fact, it couldn't have happened, right? But that's really interesting, right? And that's their view on Islam, on Christianity, on all religions. They're not coming to it from the point of view of true believers. So they're having to articulate their thoughts and their ideas in that. Now, you do that long enough. Not only you're like, okay, it's not just like how black people have to code switch, right? Like when I'm with white people or with non-black people, I speak, talk, and act a certain way. And then when I'm with my own people do. And by the way, not only black people, everybody does this, right? So it's not just that they learn to code switch after a time the wires kind of get crossed, right? And you see where now they start not only articulating that, say, to you know the Western academic audience, their review boards, their whatever, then they go into the Muslim community and start articulating that as the truth, hmm. right? Uh, and so, you know, the Muslim community has to be somewhat uh, cognizant of this fact that, hey, you know what, when you have Western trained Muslim academics, we shouldn't dismiss them wholesale, but we should give them a healthy dose of scrutiny and side eye and really interrogate uh, where their priorities and allegiances lie. Um, to me, I think, you know, I don't know if that's what I wrote or what, uh, hopefully that's what I was trying to convey because, no, yeah, yeah, that's you know, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, I think we've seen this change in attitude, even in such popular figures as like Dr. Yasser Qadli, you know, and I don't want to name drop. Like I, I don't know Dr. Yasser very well. I think I've met him twice in my life. He was a very nice person, but the, let's say the evolution of the thought and conclusion process of Dr. Yasser Qadi has changed a lot over the last couple of decades. Where did that change come from? Undoubtedly from being influenced as his time and tenure in Western academia, right? Um, I mean, just take for instance, his, his newfound issue with the Qira'at of the Quran. Oh, this is a big problem. You know, if I were to tell you or were to tell the Muslim community, it would cause people to have major doubt. Number one, all of these people coming out and talking about qira'at, right? The, the variant recitations of the Quran. This ain't nothing new. We've been dealing with this since the beginning, right? But because, you know, Dr. Chuck Fulan of whatever said university, has made it an issue, right? Uh, now it's an issue for you. And then you turn around and make it an issue for the Muslims. This has never been an issue for the Muslims. Well, isn't it kind of like his, his I guess his explanation was, um, I don't want to speak on behalf of someone, but the idea was uh, like Western academia, there's like a method of doing investigation and coming to conclusions. And when you apply that method to the Qur'ayat, then you have a hard time coming up with the same... Sure. The so point, that's kind of how the, that's, they never interrogate how Western academic thought interrogates. It's always like, oh man, 
whatever the whatever the Muslim methodology was for determining the truth, right? Uh, you know, that's got all these different problems, right? But when when Western uh, methods, whatever their methods are, man, that's the truth. That's so a good if method, we cannot, yeah. you know, it's an unquestionable method, okay. right? Uh, particularly with their uh, with their over reliance on empirical data. I actually just listened to a lecture of the other guy, some non-Muslim dude, older guy. Uh, it was funny. His hair was like silver, but he had like blue in his hair. His hair is dyed blue. I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. And he was talking about like the origins of Islam wow. and how like you know when it comes to the uh, not only to the Hadith literature but to the Quran itself and the canonization of the Quran. You know we don't find the empirical evidence and so, you know uh, I mean number one who made empiricism the complete, sole, incontrovertible method of determining the truth. Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, forget about the Qur'an, forget about the Hadith. There's no means of attaining empirical evidence that Allah exists. Because Allah, you cannot, you can, what? You cannot see Him, you cannot touch Him, you cannot smell Him, you cannot taste Him, you cannot hear Him, right? Allah is not perceivable by al-hissa by the five senses yeah Allah is not percept is not per, is not perceivable by empirical means so you know all of this stuff about uh, you know again there's no interrogation of the epistemology right how Western uh, 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 academics how they construct their knowledge there's no interrogation of it it's like oh man these, 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 I hate to, I don't like using race a lot, but like, wow, these Western white Europeans, man, whatever methodology, man, that, that's, that is how we have to do tahqiq. That is how we determine the truth, right? Yeah, Which that, that Dr. wasn't the way for us for a long time. Yeah, and Dr. Jonathan Brown, he actually, he dedicates a chapter in his book uh, about hadith. Yes. Yeah, on the historical critical method, ACM, right? So yeah, yeah. he does, he tries to deconstruct and, all the assumptions they have behind yeah, X, Y, Z thing. Incredible assumptions, yeah. right? Um, they, one of them, if you want a taste, is if there's a hadith that speaks ill about Islam, it must be true because they would not transmit something bad mm -hmm. otherwise. That's their assumption. But Jonathan would be like, well, the snad's bad. They actually use these examples. This hadith is an example of a bad hadith in all these textbooks. But they take it, they say, oh, forget this, not all this. It wouldn't have been transmitted if it was true. So it must be true. Right. So that's one of their assumptions that they'll take when they try, try to apply it to Islam. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's all of these issues. I mean, similarly, when he was discussing issues of um, uh, uh, evolution, right? And well, I remember this lecture in 2004 distinctly because I was kind of struggling with the same question back in the day. And uh, is that what you're referring to? That his lecture? Yeah, I'm where, just yeah. saying, like, again... Him now diving into... So, to tie up a bow on the part about Qira'a, number one, all due respect, Dr. Yasser Qadi is not a mutakhassas fil Qira'at. He is not a specialist in the field of Qira'a. Why are you talking about it? If you are one of the kaba'ir, of the ulama, one of the big major scholars of Qira'a, and you were talking about this, okay, I'm gonna definitely listen to you. You are not a specialist. I remember... The very first time I met him in Memphis, I don't mean to be controversial. I remember, you know, I, I, I went down and I, I think it was because I had led the Salah 
and I recited in, I don't know, maybe I recited in Khalaf or had recited, anyway, I recited in some other riwayah of Quran. And he was like, hey, where did you learn that? And I was like, uh, from my Quran teacher. <laughs> um, and he was like, so amazing. He's like, wow, you, you know these other qiraat of Quran? I was like, yeah, it, it ain't really all that, man. It's just, you know. And so that clearly revealed to me this is not a person who is a special. Again, I'm not defaming Dr. Yasser Qadi. Right, I would. Uh, I have. He's my Muslim brother. I love him for the sake of Allah. I respect him, but he's not a specialist in that field. And when you want to come to the point where you want to put doubts in the minds of the collective Muslim Ummah that the book that they rely and trust upon as the verbatim word of God is now unreliable because of the. No, I'm sorry. You step, take a step back. Yeah, man. you are not the one to be having this discussion. Right, have a little bit of humility, and also, and I'm not saying Dr. Yasser Qadi is not a humble person. He yeah. actually, for the most part, does seem to be, alhamdulillah a very humble person. But sometimes, you know, one of the one of the attitudes that we can get out of Western academia is that what question everything. Uh, you know, they have this kind of like brazen attitude. It's like, look, our we don't have a problem with questioning, because I, at least I don't. You can question whatever you want. I'm confident we'll always come to the same. The same, the same answer. La ilaha illallah Muhammad abduhu wa rasuluhu. We'll always come to that same answer, right? Um, but when you yourself, and that's why even for me as imam, sometimes people will ask me questions and I'm like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable to answer that question. Somebody recently asked me a question about finance. Okay, I have, in my training as an imam, I have some basic understandings of like, you know, the Islamic approach to contracts. And, but you know what? I am not a... I'm not a specialist. I said, you know what? I would. You should take this question to Sheikh Joe, Sheikh Joe Bradford. You go ask him this question. Mm. Uh, let me know what he says because I would like to add it to my own little database of knowledge. But I'm very comfortable not being a Walmart of answers. Like I don't have an answer for everything, right? And there's some areas I feel more strong and less. And if I don't, you know what? Go ask Sheikh Joe. Go ask Sheikh Jabril. Go <coughs> ask Sheikh Suhaib. Go ask. I don't have to be, you know, number one, I'm just an imam. I'm not an alam, 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 right? I mean, I've trained, I've studied in these things, but I, I, you know, I know I'm confident in what I have and also what I don't have. And what I find sometimes with the Western trained academic is that, hey, you know, let's just, let's, let's dive into this boat. Now, if you wanted to dive into those waters as your own little private halaqa, little private circle between a few friends, do you want to discuss these things? Labas, that's not an issue. But you want to have this conversation publicly with the amplifying power of Dr. Yasser Qadi, right? If I as Imam Mark start talking about some real off, you obscure know, left, thing. thing or whatnot, or Nobody cares because, like, what? I think I have, like, you know, I don't even have 2,000 people that follow me on, on, on social media, right? Nobody follows me. Nobody cares that much about what I say. I don't have that kind of amplifying power. And actually, alhamdulillah, that's good, right? But when you are a person that has millions of followers in this day and age, you really need to think twice when you open your mouth, even if, I'm not <coughs> saying that he can't have those thoughts about the qira'at. But it's irresponsible to work out or hash it out in public when, again, you're not even an expert in the field. You know, um, I mean, I just gave a khutbah about this yesterday, about this whole COVID stuff. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Please. You know, like I, I am not. I, I am neither pro vaccine nor am I like you know uh, the cell phone tower is transmitting five G. Uh, you know, you, you know, I, I, I am I am double vaccinated, but I regret in some ways doing it because. I felt a little bit of pressure, not by my community, but just, you know, I'm an imam. And then, you know, my wife was like, look, you know, you know, I'm a type two diabetic. You're almost 50. You know, you have a daughter. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, like a, sounds like a good I, I idea. Like, okay. You know, that's a walk on Allah. I trust you know, I'm just Bismillah and I go do it. Right? Yeah. Hindsight, you know, after reading some more stuff now, I'm like, mm, man, I don't know if that was the best. I'm not saying it was the worst either. I just don't know if it was the best decision. We don't know what the long-term effects will be, but you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm there, but however, I'm not going to get on the mic or on my Instagram and just start going off on vaccinations, right? I may have my own personal doubts about, or I would say I may have my own reservations about the vaccine, right? Which many people do, right? But I'm not going to amplify and broadcast those reservations because you know what if the you know if if i was just a dude if i was still just working in it and i wasn't an imam and nobody cared about me and i go on twitter or facebook or whatever and say x y and z whatever right but if i say anything as imam you know it's like we have that example from the prophet right when they had the ideal initially for the battle of tabuk and he was like we should do a and the companions were like, uh, are you saying that as the messenger of Allah? Or are you saying that as Muhammad ibn Abdullah? Are you saying that as Allah's messenger, meaning that you have the isma and you'll be divinely protected from error and Allah is telling you to do this and our victory is assured? Because if that's it, then it doesn't really matter. It could be... Go stand on your head and, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what, because you, that's it, maktub, right? But if you're saying this as Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, and this is just your best idea, I have this other plan I think you should look at, right? I got this other, just, just take a look at this for a second. I just want to show you this other idea, right? And so that's how we got the other plan of how to dig the trench, because that wasn't the first plan. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So what I'm saying is like when you are in a position of leadership and you have the ability to amplify your thoughts to the point of having some type of authority, mm -hmm. be somewhat cautious. And that's my criticism of a lot of times of Western, uh, the Western academic approaches. Like we don't have to be cautious. You just and you and you're an expert in everything. Once you have a Ph.D. title, you could just you are expert. Right. Um, and yeah. uh, and again, what is the end goal of your academic findings as a Western academic? Well, like you said, what? Publish or die, publish papers, keep your job, uh, spread knowledge, that kind of thing. Okay, fine. What is the directive of that as a Muslim academic who believes, right, it should be what? To bring people benefit, closer to the dean. To bring, bring people, you know, exactly, bring people to Islam, keep them in Islam. Uh, keep their iman, you know, I mean, like that kind of, it's a total different outlook. And I feel that that attitude gets eroded in the Western Academy as not being <clears throat> authentically and academically rigorous. 
If you are committed unquestioningly to the truth claims of Islam, come hell or high water, despite whatever empirical findings there are, like, hey, look, man, I don't care what you say, la ilaha illallah. This is the verbatim word of God. He was the messenger of Allah, alayhi salawatu wasalam. End of story, right? And I, don't, I don't care what papyrus you dig up out the earth. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad abduhu wa rasuluh. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. I don't care, right? I don't care what you dig up out of the earth for that. Um, that will be viewed as, well, you're just an ideologue. Yeah. Right? You're a fanatic. You're a, you know. That's the so, big one. So these are some of my, you know, like I told you, man, if, if you get me started, what was that What was that Rolling Stone song? Start me up. If you start me up, I'll never stop. Right? If you get me started, man, I have a hard time to answer any question in five minutes, right? No, it's so, fine. Like, we're, we're, you know, well, this is, this is kind of how we wanted to get the discussion started, where we were talking about Western academia, those preva- prevailing ideologies, which are in themselves making more ideologues than creating yeah. free thinkers. And let me just say for clarity, I have no uh, animosity towards Dr. Yasser Qadi. Uh, he's my brother in Islam. I disagree with him on some things, but absolutely, <clears throat> if it, uh, I will never throw my brother like to the wolves. So if he happens to hear or come across this, hey, look, I just happen to disagree with you on some things. Yeah, but you're my brother in Islam. I love you. I respect you. Your honor is important to me, and so I am not. I'm not saying. If, and if I said anything, that then may Allah forgive me. May Doctor Yasser Kali forgive me. I'm just being honest. Using him as to talk about because he's not the only one. This is not something. This and in is all fairness, seen to him, he said what you said in a, in a. I think in a second interview where he said maybe that wasn't the best avenue to have that discussion because you know he kind. You know, sometimes you're just speaking with someone, you get this carried is the problem, away. Right? You yeah, get a microphone you, you just, you're you, just talking. And now and there's a microphone everywhere. Or there's a camera everywhere. Yeah, or there's yeah. a tweet everywhere. <clears throat> there's a text box and a submit button everywhere. So, you know? And sometimes um, these snippets get shared without context, without the follow up, and all you have is Doctor Yasser Qadi says the Quran is not. I mean, feel for people like him and like Omar Suleiman that have like millions. If 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 I had. If I doubled my followers, I might think about literally just canceling all my social media accounts because I, I know that I can sometimes be a little flippant. It's just part of my attitude. I'm still working on myself. I don't. I wouldn't be that comfortable having that kind of mouthpiece because I do not want to show up on the day of judgment and some dude is looking at me. Hey, man, you know, you told me to do A, B, and C, and that didn't like I, I, I'm, you know, so. My, my advice to, to Muslim academics, I'm not saying don't go into Western academia because one of the great, uh, uh, what do they call it? One of the great exceptions to the rule is Dr. Sherman Jackson. Now, I'm not saying he's the only one. He's one of the great exceptions to the rule that somebody that has gone into the Western Academy has firmly not only kept his Muslim identity, it's but clearly has kept his, yeah. uh, his allegiance and his dedication to the Muslim community as a priority as an academic, a Western academic. So, you know, yes, I'm unapologetically, I love Dr. Jackson. He's been a mentor and a, and a, and a, and a, a great Muslim figure to me for, I don't know, almost 30 years. Um, and so I might be somewhat biased. But I'm just saying he's a great example that um, it doesn't all have to be bad, right? So we, 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 we should also attenuate our 
uh, critique of Western academia that, hey, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, thank Allah Almighty that we have a Dr. Jackson in the academy, right? Though he may be highly outnumbered, right? Thank God that he's in there because he at least does uh, give us, he, he gives us a place there. Yeah. And so, you know, we have, you know, and that's why there's no need to do this stuff. We can just simply follow what a wonderful example, right? Kind of, you know, do it, do it the way that Dr. J did, you know? Agreed. Um, so rounding back about um, these ideologies, creating ideologues um, and kind of people absorbing whatever, you know, the, the, whatever the most, you know, it feels like every other week there's some new trend with what it means to be a social activist. And it's all coming from, uh, you know, this academic process. And, um, you know, people are kind of absorbing this in their internal state. Right. And this is just kind of based on what I see just scrolling through social media. And I'll tell you a funny story. Actually, I was invited to a wedding um, and a wedding is supposed to be like a nice time where you celebrate the union of two people so it's like a egyptian you know farah it's supposed to be a party you know we party it up so i show up you know my wife and i we travel and uh, the first thing is the bride and the groom they take the stage and they make a speech Munir's mm. laughing because he already knows uh they and i've never by the way i've never seen this anywhere where the bride and groom make a speech and then they start off by saying that they wanted to recognize that the hotel or the venue that we were at was on occupied Native American land and that they were going to preach about the struggle for the Native Americans in that area who had their land stolen from them and now there's this hotel that we are having their wedding in. Okay. So I'm sitting there and at first I was laughing and then I was like, wait a second. If you think that this is sinful, then you just invited me here and now i'm part of this oppression <laughs> and i paid to be here and i paid you a gift <laughs> so all of this is at the expense of the people you are now advocating for and it honestly left an extremely sour taste i mean if that's the case why didn't you just go why have a your, wedding at all why not have some uh you know native shaman conduct your uh, <laughs> uh marriage and do it on the reservation and yeah so, <laughs> and it, it was, I don't know if it was virtue signaling or maybe they were pressured into having a wedding and this was kind of No, like, I think it's probably more the first. You know, and, uh, you know, we, I, we left. And it was, it was unfortunate because this is one of my really good friends. But this is, he's, he went through school and this is kind of his thought process now. Um, but yeah, uh, th th this is, I mean, it's just, it's so hip to be woke. Right. Mm. And I don't want this podcast to just turn into like bashing on being woke or being an activist. But, you know, that we do have uh, in Islam, there is an idea of justice and what justice is and who who is the ultimate one who serves justice and how we can achieve justice on earth. We have all of that. But in Islam, but if when you become an activist or woke activist or whatever, it's, um, you know, trying to use their methods to manifest that on earth, I feel like just creates more oppression in a way uh if does that does that make sense what i just said are you following me or or do i need to clarify a little bit oppression more oppression and and perhaps even more importantly confusion right i don't it might create more oppression like sorry not oppression like you're oppressing someone else but i feel like when you when you absorb these these ideologies and these mentalities i just sometimes i hear these people speak 
And I just see the anger and emotion coming out of them. And I'm like, you're a slave to your own emotions. You are so angry. You are so... And these are pe- these are people who may... You, you, can know, call it, you can call it dhulm. Like in Arabic, dhulm isn't just like oppression, like someone's beating you down. It's also things misplaced and things not in their proper place. So that emotion is misplaced emotion, not anger for the right reason or not happy for the right reason. You're like, why would you choose to do that at your wedding? You know, A very um, nice wedding. Like this I don't know, man. We could do a whole podcast on like why Muslims have problems celebrating. Like Muslims, I just. I, Wait, what I, do you I, mean Muslims have trouble celebrating? Man, I, I go. I do. You know, I'm an imam, so I do a lot of marriages. I go to a lot of weddings. Man, that joint is like a funeral. <laughs> that joint is like a four hour long funeral sometimes. With loud, it's like a it's like a funeral with loud music. I guess when you, you say know, it like that, yeah. Uh, I mean, so many times I have to go and kind of like do this little stand-up routine to like get people to laugh because like, hey, like this is a happy time, right? You know, um, it, it's it, it's weird, man. I, 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 you know, I mean, obviously our, our, our dean is one of being the middle way and we should not go to extremes in celebration or being silly and laughing all the time. Uh, but there are times where, where you're allowed to. You should. Well, there's not times to be extreme, and, but there's no, times that's, to, that's to, 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 to be laugh happy and have to be happy. To laugh and to be, you know, I mean, one of the nicknames of the Prophet Sallallahu was the Hak, right? I mean, we forget about these things, right? Uh, you know, but then if you know, but what do we hear? Well, you know, the well, brother, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu said, if you knew what I knew, you would, you know, would laugh little and cry much. Okay, but then why do they call him the Hak, the one who laughs? Yeah, right. Um, <coughs> yeah, we we're kind of, I don't know, but we got some issues with, um, you know, again, we or or we go to the other extreme. You know, we're either like always down or, you know. All we do is laugh and don't take anything silly, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and like what? Yes, I, I agree. We are in a in an area where we are living in the extremes, and it it carries from, you know, trend to trend, week on week, the next outrage kind of thing, and it's it, nothing is tempered, nothing is uh, nothing is uh, sustainable, right? And with what I said, I wanted to actually touch base on your tenureship in uh, Rancho Masjid. Or sorry, maybe we maybe I'll cut that part out. I don't know if you're uncomfortable with me no. saying. I mean, people can go read it on your blog. Much of a tenure, uh, but <laughs> the one thing I wanted to highlight was, you know, you were you spent that was your first uh, post as imam from pivoting from your uh, IT position, and you know, you, th- this is, you know, the, I'm going to put it very frankly, you dealt with some very unpleasant folks. Um, some were racist. Uh, uh, some were just not pleasant in having a leader there. They just didn't, they didn't, they weren't happy with the idea of there, there being a leader. And, you know, you took, uh, you stepped out, you stepped down and you, you know, the, the, you made a statement and, you know, I sometimes reread that statement because I feel like the way you went about that was extremely humble. Right. And you don't I don't think you would see that nowadays if someone experienced racism in their local community and they were in some pos- you know, position of leadership and they stepped down. I think they would step down and drag the community through the mud and then that community, you know, would be blasted. And, you know, that that organization may or may not, you know, they'd probably oh we have to redo the board and there would be chaos there. Right. Where now it was on your uh, what, what, what happened there was just kind of like this is not for me. Um, it was very unpleasant. 
uh, I wish the people there who are good the best and may get people guide the rest. And, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something else for me. And it was just kind of like yeah, it, it, a very it, peaceful transition. I think, however, there's, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot of times you, you, you know, time passes and you think about things a little bit different. But, um, you know, I've had so I've had I've had several people recount to me. Oh man, the people were racist and the people were this. okay. That gives a false impression, to be honest, though. Uh, and some I'll, I'll own that because maybe that's uh, from the way that I gave that impression. You know, that gives the the impression that it was like divvied up. Like there were there was an equal amount of nice people and an equal amount of racist people and an equal amount of the, no. You know, like with everything, usually it's like this very vocal minority, right? And yeah, sir. I mean, there's no doubt that there were some. I mean, I don't know if I want to call it. I hate this term racism because it's so ubiquitous at this point; it almost becomes meaningless. But yes, there well, were define def- it. Define it for us. When you there say there were definitely people, let's say that were objecting to a, a lot of things that I represented that made them uncomfortable. So my first day in the job, and I will remember this story. My wife is like, "God, do you always have to tell this story?" I'm like, well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my first day in the job. I show up to lead the Fajr prayer, first day. And, you know, so of course, you know, I want to try to impress the community that, okay, like I, I, I do know what I'm doing. So I, I don't know, I recited something long, like from sort of Eunice or something from, you know. So afterwards, I'm walking back to the shoe rack and there's this Palestinian guy and we're having this conversation in Arabic. And, you know, mashallah, you know, you know, you really, and so we're having this nice conversation. Nice to meet you. Your recitation is nice and la, 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 like, you know. And so he asked me, like, uh, you know, what, what is your name? And I said, well, you know, my name is Mark. <laughs> Boom. The conversation stops, switches to English, right? Even though we've been having this conversation for a couple minutes now and it's comfortably <laughs> in Arabic, right? And... What do you mean your name is Mark? I said, well, yeah, my name, my name is Mark. Uh, he said, oh, you, I thought you were Arab. I said, no, I just look like one. Yeah, he passes uh, like Moroccan. Or- yeah, yeah. I mean, my wife is Algerian, and I look like all my in-laws. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I do. Especially if you put me in a burnous and a tarbu, that's it, man. I look, you know, straight North African. Um, so he's like, oh, I thought you were Arab, man. I said, no, no, no. He said, but, uh, you know, well, don't you have a Muslim name? No. Well, you know, you know, you have to have a Muslim name. What is your Muslim name? I was like, well, my Muslim name is Mark, man. <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, 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 no. And then, it's, then he starts really getting, you know, belligerent. No, brother, you have to change, you know. You, know, you have to change your name. You have to change your name. Yeah, you have to change your name. Okay. From, you know, so the guy goes to the board the very first day and says, you have to terminate his contract and you have to hire somebody that has a Muslim name. <laughs> wow. And so this was a kind of foreshadowing moment of some, some, not all, some of what I would deal with. And so I have come to understand because actually I had a similar experience. I hope my wife won't get too angry. I would talk, after we got married, talking with my brother-in-law on the phone back in Algeria. It was, you know, mabrook alayk and, you know, congratulations, right? And so he was explaining to, my brother-in-law was explaining to his wife, um, uh, uh, you know, Samia, right, married, a, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's American, but he's an imam. Oh, mashallah, what is his name? <laughs> his name is Mark. Mark? Doesn't he have to change his name? <laughs> right? 
And so, you know, having gone through that professionally and personally, it kind of made me realize, again, I'm not excusing... The behavior. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't want to excuse wrong behavior, yeah. right? Small, my, my, I guess I can call her my sister-in-law, right? I'm not saying her behavior was bad. The guy, yeah, his behavior was definitely way out of pocket, right? So I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior. But I have come to also realize that if you come from a Muslim background in the Muslim world, not you cats that are born here or raised here in America, right? In Algeria, there like there is zero point zero 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 negative ninety nine percent chance that you will go to a masjid and the dude leading the salat, his name will be Mark, right? Unless it's you just, go to Algeria, and, <laughs> and, and so you know, my brother in law Mahmoud was like, uh, when you come here, inshallah. Zakaria. <laughs> Would you come here? We're going to call you Zakaria. I'm like, okay, as long as you put Mark before that, Mark Zakaria Manly, right? Uh, no, I get it. Like, there's just no concept, not just of a Muslim, right? Because it wasn't only about me as a, okay, whatever, he converted to Islam. Matter of fact, you know, one of my brother in laws, uh, he had a good friend of his, Jewish, wow. right? That they became friends. I think his name was Michael. And actually, the dude went to Algeria, visited my deceased father-in-law, right? And uh, they were cool with it. Okay, whatever. He's Jewish. His name is Michael, but he converted to Islam. Labas. The issue is when you get to imam, mm. right? Like you know, like you're an imam. You're in charge. You lead the prayer. You're you like so. That's extraordinary, right? Again, I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior. Yeah, the dude, what he did was ridiculous, right? But I also, I think this is the part when we, if we're going to have a conversation about wokeness, that those of us who are the critics of wokeness or, or even for the woke people who are, are sometimes rightfully enraged by bad behavior, let's not try to make it where uh, anti-racists, like that's a, as if like that's a wholly bad thing. No, that's a, that's a great thing, right? But what they also must understand is that there is a logic and a rationality to it, right? Not all hate and not all uh, uh, bigotry or not all, it's not all illogical. So I can understand how this okay, well, Palestinian you, guy or how my sister-in-law. Like, go into that a little bit. What do you mean when you say bigotry cannot be illogical? Right. I'm not saying it can't be immoral. Obviously, in some situations it can and even in some it can't, right? Like for me. I'm not down with LGBTQ. You're about to get canceled. Right? You know, I never <laughs> signed up in the first place, right? So, uh, you know, I'm not pro-LGBTQ, right? Uh, yeah, of course. So that, for some people, would be a bigot. Matter of fact, my brother, my middle brother, the other, he's, you're bigoted because you were, I said, oh, hey, I can live with that. Uh, <laughs> meaning that what? I... I don't like a certain kind of thing. And I, but I, what I did tell my brother, I said, look, my brother's not Muslim. Right? I'm the only Muslim in my family. I said, look, you have your set of beliefs. I have mine. I said, here's the thing. I can justify my beliefs through a very logical and rational construct. Right? Now, you may not agree with them, and you may reject them, and that's, that's, that's your prerogative to do so. But that doesn't make my... Uh, my attitudes uh, irrational, 
right? The, the, the Palestinian brother at the masjid that was like, what in the heck? I just prayed behind a dude that might not even be Muslim. He says his name is Mark and he's the imam. This is crazy, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that he's not wrong, but I'm also saying like, eh, is it really that hard to figure out the interworkings of why that's such a big problem with him or with my sister-in-law? Like, it's not hard to figure out how that works, right? Um, and that's an important part of wanting to have a conversation with those who we, you know, may disagree with, right? Um, you know, the, the idea always is that, you know, something that a person will dislike at the end will always be repugnant and irrational, right? Um, no, it may actually be, print. like I told my brother, I said, no, like I, 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 I wish no harm visited upon any gay person. But at the same time, I can never get down with that, right? And so I have a very principled, logical, rational objection to that. The issue is you and I have a mutually exclusive definition of the common good. Mm -hmm. My definition of the common good is the book of Allah and his messenger, right? That's my definition of the common good, alayhi salatu salam, right? Your definition is just whatever's bouncing around in your head, right? Uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, that might be a little bit, uh, uh, you know, again, all, but I mean, literally, what, what is it that you, other than just your personal experiences and whims and desire? What is it anchored in? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one has, and what's funny with that issue, LGBT, they all, they can claim like, oh, you guys are bigoted, that which leads to hate, which leads to whatever else, but they never apply that to any of our other beliefs. Like alcohol, we're, 10 times against alcohol and all the harms it caused, whatever. No one ever says, you guys hate all the people who drink alcohol. All your coworkers who go to happy hour, you must hate them and you want harm upon them and you want... No one says that for any other belief, which tells you it's not rooted in anything rational itself. It, it is an emotion. It is a... It's yeah, a very, I mean, actually, it's very, very good point. We don't like... We don't eat pigs. Does right. that mean we're out there just slaughtering pigs and getting rid... No, we're just... You know, that's a... I can Same be against something without hating the people associated. I can hate, yeah. the, you know, or, I hate it for the sake honest, of the law. I can hate a thing, but also still not wish you any harm. Yeah. We do it all the time. We hate kufr. Yes. We're supposed to, at least. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. That doesn't mean we go slaughter every non-believer. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, I can, uh, uh, I mean, this is, so again, these, yeah, exactly. These kinds of arguments. Um, but to be honest, this is what a lot of uh, our community now is struggling to manifest their faith in. Right, it's like because nobody wants. I mean, nobody wants to be told that they're uh, a jerk. Nobody wants to be told that they're a uh, unreasonably mean person or something like that. And so, you know, uh, a lot of Muslims now have changed their attitudes. For instance, on I mean, you know, easy low hanging fruit, the LGBTQ issue, right? They have changed their attitude on that, not because they have really worked out. Uh, some way of interpreting the verses differently, or which there ain't no room for, because those ayat that deal with qomulut, or as I say, qomul huruf, right? They are they are mahkumat. They are straightforward. So they are only doing so because of you know. And and again, I think for those of us, while we may want to you know sometimes you know skewer them. We have to understand the societal uh, pressures under which Muslims operate. Not to condone it, but if we are going to try to counter it, uh, we have to understand like 
all the factors that are operating and are 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 you know, forces acting on people. Definitely, yeah. What are what are um, um, what are some things you think people can do to counteract it? Is it just learning about it? Is it? Do you think it's relying on like lead imams in leadership positions to say something, or is it? Do we need more people of culture creating? I don't know, man. No, part, part of man. or not not Racism, really. Racism is part of the human. Uh, oh, I man. I thought we were talking about LGBTQ, but we oh, LGBTQ. About, oh, well, oh. but actually, what's fine? I'm fine pivoting away from the LGBTQ thing because we talked about that one multiple times. But the racism thing, um, racism is part of the human condition. That's that's. I'm that's not saying the, that we excuse it because clearly the the, the Prophet Sallam in his Khutbah and his final sermon made it very clear that not only what his opinion, right, but what authoritatively should be the disposition of his community on racism, right? That, you know, the Arab has no superiority over the Ajam, the black or the white, vice versa. So that's very clear, right? But at the same time, it is a ubiquitous trait of the human being. So hmm. again, not from the point of excusing it, but actually from the point of confronting it, you cannot, um, it's like saying, like, okay, you know what? You got diabetes. Okay. And so I'm going to treat your diabetes by ignoring the fact that you got diabetes. And I'm just going to say, you know what? The way to beat your diabetes is to have, you know what? You got to just eat a lot of sugar, right? <laughs> you got to go just, you know, or, you know, drink this bleach. Like, we'll do some sort of Trumpian, uh, you know, type of uh, approach to it. Right here, have this bleach, right? Uh, you know, I cannot treat your illness or whatever that it is by ignoring your illness right so so what's the illness uh i mean i think what we have to under you're saying the illness is it's just part of the human condition that's racism that number one racism is a part of the human condition can you define the term i i it's very i i think it is um not simply not not that I don't know what you mean, but just because there's for me, if I were to try to come up with a term, it's not just simply that you don't like a person because of their uh, uh, skin color, typical, uh, you know, uh, you know, like their, yeah. their, their, their external appearances or their cultural things. Right. But wanting to maybe cause them harm or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, so, oh, OK, that's more than OK. Uh, that, that for me, I'm not saying that's the Webster's Dictionary version of it. I'm saying you know more for myself. Gotcha. Um, and so, again, like hmm. it, going back to me in the masjid. Okay. Those few vocal people that, you know, can I comfortably say they were all racist? Uh, probably a couple of them. I probably could comfortably label that way. The others were people like you know what, man, they just. I am shattering their idea of reality because I'm bringing such a different aesthetic to Islam and to the Imam that they just simply cannot accept. Now, I'm not saying that that is excusable, laudable behavior. What I'm saying is now, after a little bit wiser, a lot more balder, and a lot more gray, right, that, and having had time to reflect upon it, as I said yesterday, you know what? If I could go back in a time machine, I probably never would have taken that position as imam to begin with for a number of reasons. Uh, it was clear I was not a good fit for that community, right? As I said, it was, a, I would say, what, a majority Desi with a 
the next biggest group being Arabs and then just a few scatterings of, you know, converts and black folks and whatnot, right? Um, and so I don't think either one of those groups was really prepared to take their spiritual marching orders from a black person. And especially somebody that, like me, I come and tell you I'm black and they're like, brother, you're not black. <laughs> you know, like they cannot accept. They're like, you know, like if you are not from Bilad Sudan, you're not black. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, where does Iman Mark from? Oh, brother, you know, he's black. He's African American. No, no, brother, he's not black. <laughs> I, I, brother Bilal over there from uh, Senegal, he is black. Imam Mark is not black. Right? So I, I just, I brought too many things that stirred up the pot, right? There's like ambiguous blackness. Uh, one minute the dude's in a bow tie, the next day he's in a jubba. You know, it was just too much. It was just too many different things happening at the same time. And as I said yesterday too, this was a community that had never had an imam. And that meant that they had gone decades of not having to have centralized leadership. And to be quite fair, the people that brought me in to be the imam, I don't think they adequately consulted the community whether they were down with now kind of having to have one person figuratively in charge. Because in reality, I wasn't in charge of the masjid. But, you know, once you're imam, it's like, okay, you're the dude that's in charge, right? And I don't think that they were prepared to have one person be in charge. And so all of that now hindsight, to be honest, the biggest problem was that community wasn't prepared for me. And so the biggest issue wasn't the racism. Yeah, I mean, like, like I'm only gonna take a certain kind of abuse. And that- Everyone I, has a limit. I've worked jobs before where it's like, you know what? Uh, you know, here's my apron, here's my hat, here's my badge. Like, I, I just can't do this, man. I, I've, I've walked out of, you know, several jobs like that. And so, yes, uh, definitely uh, that one Jamarah, that was a straw that broke the camel's back where that dude went off of me. And then on top of it, the board that was there didn't support me. Uh, or rather, I'd say 80, 90% of the people on the board that were there didn't. There was a small 10% that did. And those are the people that, you know, alhamdulillah, we went and made middle ground. Um, hindsight being what it is, sure, you know, it fits the narrative now. Those racist Arabs, those racist Pakistanis, those race, that fits the narrative now. Looking at it, hindsight, the biggest issue, it just wasn't a fit. It just was, and because it wasn't a fit and it was forced to make a circle fit in a square peg, it brought out some of these other things. I'm not saying we excuse them, but, you know, I, I can, I can I see know, it from a different angle now. Someone, it could be argued, I'm not saying I'm doing that, that you are apologizing on behalf of racists and that it's the 21st century and everyone should be down with diversity. That's what we thrive on. We need diversity. So why can't people just change? Why? why, why because you live diversity in America, creates adversity, right? This is my new little buzz phrase. I'm going to have some t-shirts made up, right? Diversity Diversity creates, creates adversity. We think we've been sold. This melting myth, pot. right, by the, by, particularly by the left, right? And I don't say this lightly. The, the political left. left, yeah. Right. Well, the, the, the moral left, too, because there's a, there's a moral and ethical ideology with them as well. We've been sold this idea that diversity uh, solves all problems, hmm. right? 
or most certainly helps them to dissolve into one wonderful pot, right? Uh, no, actually diversity creates a lot of adversity, uh, especially in its infancy. Maybe that would be the other tagline on the t-shirt, right? <laughs> and if we look at our own history, you look at Al-Andalus, right? Like what was one of the problems in Al-Andalus? Okay, it was the decadence and the, yeah. right, you know, the but also, man, they couldn't get along with each other because of what? Some, some diversity issues amongst the Muslims. Interesting, I didn't know Right? That. You had like That's the, the Shurabiya movements, right? Of, you know, those Muslims that were originally Iberian, right? And versus those that came from either North Africa or even tracing their lineage back to the Hejaz. And so there were tensions amongst the Muslims themselves, somewhat axiomatic, just simply over what? Diversity. We as in America, and I think this is probably more true than I, 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 would, I would venture a guess bet over anywhere else in the world and most certainly through any other part in time of our history as an ummah. We have the greatest diversity. I mean, you have Muslims literally from every part of the world and you got Muslims who ain't even Muslim, right? I mean, we have Qadiani Ahmadi Muslims who are not technically Muslim, right? You have Nation of Islam, they're not Muslim. Progressive Muslims. Right? And then now, I mean, you've got Shi'i, you've got Sunni, you've got, you know, Hanafi Malik. I mean, you've got everything. You've got the progressive. I mean, we have, and then all of the different ethnicities, Nigerian, Indonesian, Egypt. I mean, we've got everything. And you don't find this in other parts of the Muslim world. Like I said, you yeah. go to Algeria, not only are you not going to find any man whose name is Mark, you're not going to find any ma'am who is, uh, you know, Indonesian. You're not going to find any ma'am who's an Egyptian. You're not going to find any ma'am who's probably even a Moroccan in Algeria, right? They're going to be, right, Algerian, and probably 90% his name is Abdul Qadir. Right? Like, that's how it works. In a lot of the Muslim world, is it's, you know, it's not diverse. And so we have to understand that we have a unique diversity here. And that's gonna naturally bring about some, some clashes. Some I'm not saying that we justify the challenges and just let it stagnate and stay where it is. No, we, we have to, inshallah, try to overcome those. And again, not out of some altruistic <coughs> sense, but because that is the command of the Prophet Right, let's make this very clear. The, the, the challenge to thwart and confront racism is a religious obligation based upon the messenger alayhi salawatu wassalam. Right? So let's make that very, it's not based upon some uh, neo-Marxist, uh, neo-Buddhist, neo, we're not, we're, not, we're not doing some mixed grab bag of other ideologies. No, it's simple, it's from Islam. You know, هذا هو Islam. this is what it is. So, you know, I would say, though, it, it's the 21st century. You said, like, oh, it's the 21st. I'm not making excuses, but at the same time, you know what? Racism ain't the biggest deal anymore. Wait, as black know. people, as a black person. Of course, this, this is probably, like, my white privilege as a light-skinned, you know, mixed <laughs> black person, right? Uh, You're, okay, wait, let me, let me just, let me recap It's not the biggest it. deal anymore. As a, as a African-American Muslim, you are saying that race is not the biggest deal for African-Americans. Nope. Whoa. Nope. Fight me, bro. <laughs> right? Okay. Fight me. What's the biggest problem? The biggest problem is shirk. Right? 
The biggest problem is dhulam. The biggest problem is ma'asiyah. Right? The biggest problems are what? People that associate partners with the law and then what? They become mustaqbirun. Right? Once you become a person that is a mushrik in your ideology, then everything is off limits. And you then become a person of extreme arrogance and extreme misguidance. And, right? The biggest problem is morality. I'm just, the biggest problem, I was listening to this Whoa. exchange last night. Who? Uh, it was a short clip on YouTube. For, I hate Bill Maher. I hate that dude. I really hate that dude. I don't hate many people, but he's one of the people I If hate I saw him, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have to be restrained because I would want to just simply, I, I, would, I, would, I would like to punch that dude in his face. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't stand that dude. But anyway, I happened to stumble across this video because it was between, on his show, he had uh, Ben Shapiro and who I also, oh man, talk about hate. I can't stand that dude's voice. The sound of Ben Shapiro's voice it's makes a, me want to commit shrill. random acts of violence. <laughs> right? Right? So I had Ben Shapiro arguing with Malcolm Nance. I don't know if you're familiar with Malcolm Nance. He's no. a African-American dude that served in the military. Um, he's very left. Um, uh, he's like on MSNBC. So anyway, so of course, here it's like, Here's the Zionist conservative Jew versus the black liberal who served in the military. You know, it's like some weird mix-up. Um, and, it, you know, it just, just I'm trying to even, where was my thought on this? Like, I was bringing this up. We were talking about morality. Oh, morality. Yeah, I mean, you know... I even lost my train of thought with this one now. Uh, we started with oh, oh, you saying that racism was Critical race theory. So the, their oh, conversation okay. was over critical race theory. Oh, another hot topic. Which, Get ready, folks. Which, which, you know, and the point was that um, Ben Shapiro was like, uh, or rather Malcolm Nance was saying like, you know, the biggest problem in America is still racism. Right? We have all these racist institutions and race. It's like yeah. nobody says racism doesn't exist. And, you know, and he brought up the story about his grandfather, or great-great-grandfather that was a slave. And, did, hey, look, man, me too. I go back four generations, and I have people who are in bondage as well, right? So, mm. but that was four or five generations ago. This is my issue is that why do I have to pick or choose? Because what I don't like about the Ben Shapiro types is they say racism doesn't matter anymore. Who's, who said it doesn't matter? Of course it still matters. But... In saying that it still matters, I don't want to have to become the Malcolm Nance critical race theorist that says it's still the predominant force acting upon black people's lives. That is just factually wrong. Okay. Right? This is the problem I have is I have to choose one extreme or the other, which I also see happening in the Muslim community. You have Muslims who are now pro uh, CRT. <coughs> And then you have those who are vehemently against CRT. And neither one of them probably read much. Like, they probably didn't read Delgado and Beverly, like Kimberly, and they didn't actually read. We don't read much. Right. Period. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, most people don't read it. their own book, let alone yeah. anything else, yeah. right? Yeah, to be so, honest. you know, my issue in that they had, the reason why I brought up, you know, Ben Shapiro versus Malcolm Nance was like, wow, this is where we're at. We're in this absurdity. The absurdity to either deny or affirm at 100%. There's nothing in the middle, right? I mean, I almost got shot twice and killed by the police. Is police brutality a reality? Yes. Is it 
a reality that can potentially affect the lives of black people disproportionately than non-blacks? Absolutely. Nobody can argue this fact. But is, is there lurking behind every leaf and stone and mm. bush and branch a cop waiting to kill me? No. Right? Uh, the biggest threat to why black people are not succeeding, mm. and this is where I get on the liberals, is it's black people themselves. Nobody wants to have this conversation, right? And no, I'm not Larry Elder or I'm not Thomas Sowell, although there are some things that they say that are very interesting. What I don't like about the liberal, so-called modern liberal, and we can get into the difference between classical liberal and modern liberal. Which I don't think they, you explained to me yesterday, they don't have much of a... No, no, there's they, actually, actually they, 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 there is some overlap. The, the, the point is that what? Black people have no agency. They have no role to play in their own definition of self and their own pursuit of destiny. This is what I absolutely loathe about modern liberalism. You mean to tell me the reason why I'm not achieving in life is because of white people, because of racism, because of structural this or that? No. The like reason your agency's why gone. You, you have my no, agency is all gone. You have no power over your... Right? your it's uh, also removing God completely from the picture. But you know what? All ibtila ma asaba min masibatin illa bi'ithnillah. There are no trials or difficulties in this life except that they are from Allah. So it's also a very secular atheist point of view. So A, I have no agency as a human being. <clears throat> B, there is no God. And so C, I'm reduced to basically the state of a perpetual child. Right? I will always be the perpetual stepchild of modern liberalism. I have to be dependent upon your system. You have to be dependent on the government for support. No. The well, same system. I have to be dependent on the ideology. The government is just simply a manifest manifestation of part of that ideology. I am dependent upon that ideology. I cannot feed myself, clothe myself, defend myself, uh, achieve success unless there is uh, some interventionist, uh, 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 some, some some type of intervention which John Rawls talked about. I mean. I don't mean to go into a, a crazy whirlpool tangent. There's just so many aspects to this that what makes me angry is the Muslims discuss this. Conservatism, liberalism, they don't even know the figures. They don't even know the people involved. Like where do we get this idea of government interventionalism in the lives particularly of black people? Because you know John Rawls, one of the most influential philo public philosophers of the 20th century. I'm gonna right? write that down, John. Um, uh, what was his book? You know, I specifically um, made some uh, notes here, right? That I'll share with you if you want to put them up, put them up, you know, on your on your show notes. But right, he wrote a theory to justice in 1971. Yeah. John Rawls came to be one of the most influential public philosophers of the 20th century, uh, and coming from the you know the the being certainly one of the modern liberals, and his idea, many of them, well, one of them was what. Government needs to intervene. Now, I'm not saying that government intervention is necessarily a bad thing, right? Because obviously government, under certain circumstances, can do things individuals or even corporations can't, right? But it's different to say we will from time to time use government as a particular tool or apparatus versus it's just what does everything, 
right? I'm very uncomfortable with this. Two, it means that black people cannot be held to any moral standard, that they're false. They're, it's like they're غير مكلفين. Like they're, 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 they don't have any, have any taklif. They don't have any responsibility. I know from my own family and from other families. Like, look, man, if you have a bunch of kids out of wedlock or you let, a, you let a bunch of men have babies with you that are not your husband, what is going to be the result? And especially if that gets accepted as normative societal behavior. Normalizing the single motherhood. Single Normalizing motherhood, yeah. fisk. fisk. That's right? You just normalize immorality. Yeah, that's what it is. Right? You, normal, you normalize immorality. I'm telling you right now, the biggest impediment to black success is morality and lack of imagination. What do you mean by lack of imagination? Can you, can you what is it that what is it most of us want to do what do most black people want to do right uh, make just be financially no no I mean I look growing up I, I grew up I grew up around white people black people ja I learned to speak Japanese as a kid right Japanese people wow, you speak Japanese I speak Japanese right and you know okay, random fact <laughs> why is it that you know Black families, the kids are, you know, and I was the exception because I guess we're that sort of like talented 10th bougie Negro light skin family, right? But most of what pushing towards athletics and other things or coming from a broken family, right? Alhamdulillah, my parents have been married over 60 years. I came from mm -hmm. a very solid family. May Allah preserve them. Right? I mean, may Allah, at this point, may Allah guide them. Um, may Allah guide them and preserve them. Uh, but what is the typical experience of the black family? Broken family. Right, mm. you know, we look at even in the conversation between Shapiro and Nance, uh, Maher invoked this thing about statistics. You know, black people are uh, uh, the incarceration rate is higher than whites. Okay, I have no doubt that once you get to the sentencing aspect, yeah, of the justice system, it is going to un undeniably lean disproportionately towards blacks in terms of injustice. No doubt. Yeah. But the justice system didn't make black people commit crimes in the first place. This is something that the liberal is unwilling to acknowledge. Well, wouldn't you say it's the lack of community resources, the fact that, you know, there's... Well, the whose job is it to have community resources? The government. No, no, no. It's black people's responsibility for black people's community to have resources. I'm sorry, yes, at one point, and this is why I did a piece last year when they were talking about this Tulsa, Oklahoma thing, they burnt down Black Wall Street. I said, you know what's amazing? Our people, black people, right? Just a couple of decades out of literal bondage, not just figurative nonsense people talk about today. Like literally you were- Literally yeah, you're in, chains. in chains. A couple of decades, those same people that were in bondage went and built Black Wall Street. 40 years after bondage, they built Black Wall Street. Where are we at 40 years after civil rights? If we could build a Black Wall Street literally out of being chained and owned by other people, and we cannot do the same thing, I said, okay, they burnt it down. Why didn't we just go build another one? This is the imagination part. This is the imagination part. This is what really drives me insane with liberals and with my own people. And I know this makes me very unpopular with both. It makes me unpopular with a lot of black people and it makes me unpopular with liberals because I cannot stand the fact 
that we could achieve such a monumental victory. Mm. This is where like Ibn Taymiyyah said, what, you know, sometimes the, you know, in this life, Allah will give fadl and tawfiq. He will give favor and success <coughs> even to a kafir. If what? He's mukhlis, sincere. I mean, those slaves were not Muslim. I know there's this whole thing about, but okay. Even if there were some Muslims by that point, they were not Muslims. And yet Allah gave them the fadl. And yes, it was evil what those white people did to go and burn down Black Wall Street. was 100%. Un- Deniable act of war and evil, right? No doubt. But my question is, since that time, why have we never gone and done it again? Where is our imagination? Why are we all talking about rap music and bars and being athletes and all this stuff? Where is our imagination? Where is our Langston Hughes now? Where is our Gordon Parks? I you don't, know, I'll be honest, I don't know what those names, who those names are. Well, the can, point can, is, can, you know, I mean, Langston Hughes, one of the great poets of the, the Harlem Renaissance, one of the great American poets. Forget about black poets, he was one of the great American poets. Gordon Parks, you know, that iconic image you see of black, uh, the, the, black, uh, the black Muslim women who are not Muslim, right, in the nation of Islam, there's a super iconic image of a bunch of black women in like the white hijab and they're all like in a row, seen, yeah. right? Gordon Parks. Gordon Parks is one of, I mean, he's a photographer, right? Gordon Parks is one of the great American artists as well, who is a photographer. Okay. Um, where, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Thurgood Marshall, you know? Yeah. I mean, where is our imagination now as black people? Part of that imagination has been circumvented by the mediocrity of the left, right? I, and I, when I say the mediocrity of the left, I'm not saying that the right is the place to go to because they don't wish us any good either, right? I'm not trying to let the right off of the hook, right? But we are no longer in the time in which the major opponent of black achievement is the right. I know they want to talk about Donald Trump and the tiki torches and the riot on Capitol Hill, right? That is not the major impediment to black success, right? The people that really live in our heads and we don't know that they're there and they're squatting. Living rent free. Is the left, right? We charge the right rent. Right, the the right lives in our head too. Racism, right? But we're charging them rent. We know we're aware of them, right? Mm. The left, they're the squatters. We don't even know they're there. They're the ones that like go and you know open the the the, the electric box and they're stealing your electricity and right. That's that's the issue. And so we and then uh, and then again, immorality creates poverty. Immorality. And, this is, I mean, the Prophet Sallallahu had so I'm many so things sorry. to say about, you know, uh, about, you know, morality, even, uh, you know, uh, Ali uh, ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an talked about the, 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 the link and the relationship between, you know, uh, immorality and poverty. And it's true, right? We, poverty, you know, if you, if you get pregnant at 15, 16, 17 years old, your life is going to either come to a fast halt or it's going to be arrested for a very long time. Yeah. On top of it, 
you will now introduce a new norm because overwhelmingly those that are born out of wedlock go on to perpetuate same. that. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many families that out of wedlock births in black America, right, that are four, five, six generations deep, you know, especially four, four or five generations. Now, ironically, like, you know, my, my mom and dad, you know, like my father, man, he's like one of those, you know, he just shakes his head like, I don't understand black people today. You know, you know, he's like one of them old, he's just like, I don't understand black people today, you know. Uh, you know, why are they doing what they're doing? Why don't they go get a job? You know, if you can't get a good education, at least go get a job, man. What are you running around here, you know, having sex with all these women, knocking up all these women? Why are you letting all these guys come and knock you up, having all these babies out of wedlock, right? And then you want to turn around and talk about white supremacy. White supremacy is not the major issue anymore. Immorality is an untruth always has been because white supremacy in itself is immoral right the biggest problem is always immorality and not recognizing the right of Allah the maqam of Allah right the right that you fear him obey him and you constrain yourself right the one who what fears the station of their Lord, and then refuses that part of themselves. Maybe you're a racist, but you know what? I'm going to keep that stuff wrapped up inside because what? Inni akhafullah, I, I fear Allah. Or you know what? Man, that woman over there, she's very beautiful. I would really, but you know what? Either I'm going to get married or I'm going to restrain myself. You know? Immorality is still the biggest impediment to black life. I will I will die on that hill. I will fight tooth and nail on that hill. And I challenge anybody to bring me uh, any other demonstration that explains the continued predicament and lack of success in black America. Uh, I mean, I, I'll play the devil's advocate with you. Uh, you know, sy systemic oppression. Uh, you know, there's... Um White people are just as immoral, someone might say. Yeah, white people are just as immoral. You they don't think they have white collar crime. They, you know, there's hillbillies, white trash, and, you know, white people are still succeeding. And uh, let's see, uh, police brutality. If men, if black men are being arrested uh, at a high rate, then, you know, white men. No, then, there's still the, no. Okay, yes. White people are immoral. Chinese people are immoral. Everybody's immoral, right? People people struggle with morality across the board, right? But also, black people, again, disproportionate. We disproportionately commit crimes. Again, once you get in the system, I got no doubts about the fact that it is definitely going to lean heavily against you more than it would a non-black person. No doubt about it. But it doesn't cause you to commit crimes, there's no justification for you to commit the crimes in the first place. And we have come to have an attitude now that we are either, uh, we are uh, somehow we can indulge, right, this desire to commit crimes, or that we are entitled to something that we simply don't have the title and deed for, right? Um, I know this doesn't sound very popular. And this whole thing about structural racism. Uh, again, 
I, I, you know, I did a podcast with Dr. Abdullah a year or two ago, and he and Abdullah I. Abdullah bin Hamid. Yeah, bin, bin Hamid Ali. Uh, yeah, I think he kind of is on the same wavelength as. Uh, we, we so in that podcast, for instance, we differed. Where he was saying like there are no more, there is no more structural racism, and I said mm, I don't, I don't know if I can go that far. I think that certainly mm. there still are. What I'm saying is it is no longer an unsurmountable obstacle. Mm. It's no longer an in- insurmountable obstacle, right? Uh, and this is what I don't like about the left is that they 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 constantly want to remind us about racism and evil white people and all this stuff, right? And you know what? I don't care about racism and evil white people. I'm gonna go out and, and achieve because you know what? Anyway, you know, tawfiqi billah. My success is ultimately going to come from Allah. And if with with Allah's you know blessing, I can over I can achieve any obstacle. I can surmount any challenge or obstacle. And in fact, if he doesn't, then I won't achieve anything, right? That you know, I want to make <coughs> The major focus in my life, yeah. as a black person, Allah, right? That Allah is the one who bestows fadl. He is the one that withholds, right? He is the one that's either going to give or is going to take away. And whiteness is just a particular manifestation of that. I do not want to turn whiteness into a kind of ilah, right? Something that I almost <laughs> is a type of God, like an anti-God. Yeah. Right, it's a sort of like negative anti-God for some people, right? To the point that if a white person wants to convert, well, it's yeah, like they worship they, Allah by loathing white people. Like this is where a lot of the Muslim community is 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 unfortunately kind of slipping and going towards. Is like you know, you know, wa We believe in Allah, but we worship white people. Right? And I don't mean that in the dunya way. Mean I mean that the, what our value set, mm-hmm. the the limits of our imagination, the limits of what we conceive as possibilities are all now circumscribed by whiteness. Mm. I don't care what white people have to say in the idea of that. You know what? I'm gonna go out and try to do it because Allah has ma- Allah has made me to worship Him. And He said, whatever that Allah. Whatever that Allah has given you, seek your your part of this this world. So I'm going again. I'm not putting on <coughs> blinders. What I'm saying is, it's not the most important conversation in the room, and it's not the highest hurdle to jump over. I agree, and uh, I think this ties into an overarching theme that you know we discuss here on the podcast. It's that you know you are essentially. You know, with Allah, you, 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 as a man who has Allah, right, you can accomplish anything, right, within, within means. And, um, you know, the idea of, you know, being a victim, um, you know, as if you really try to embody that masculine energy, then that, that is something that's not compatible. Yeah, and I'm sorry, liberalism is, 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 is as for men, liberalism yeah. is a real feminine energy to it, right? It exactly. wants to disempower you. It wants you to, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for a kind of like uh, uh, the 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 go at your own John Wayne rugged individual type of nonsense. No, I do believe there is a communitarian. I mean, 
why is it that there are some cultures or some groups rather, some groups and their cultures that come to America, despite not being white, achieve success? And have faced, you know, uh, similar, if not quite in magnitude, but similar racism throughout the history of this country. And yet they categorically and statistically achieve more success. This is what I'm saying. They absorb whiteness into ha- it. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. Like, let's just look at the Asian community. <laughs> that's what exactly. Asian community. Let's look that's, at the Asian that's, community. That's what it is. Right? Yeah. And so my thing, and, and, and as somebody that grew up with a lot of Asians, Japanese, learned to speak the language, studied the culture, everything. Are Japanese people perfect? No. Do I wish I was Japanese? Or It's none of that nonsense. It's just that, hmm, they do things somewhat different. They have faith. I mean, my God, man, they locked them people up during World War II. You know, there were mass lynchings of Chinese people. And yet there are some different community and cultural attitudes that they have that we could benefit from. This is my issue also with this idea of cultural appropriation. I have done a mm. cult- I have done cultural appropriation my whole entire life. If I find somebody that has something in their culture that's beneficial to me, I appropriate it full stop. I have no problem with it. And humans have appropriated culture from other cultures since the beginning of, you know, <laughs> from, 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 from Cain and Abel. I don't want to hear anything about cultural, but this is a bunch of nonsense, right? Uh, if I find something beneficial and out of culture, I will appropriate it. If I find that. something in Indonesian culture, that's a, uh, I will appropriate it. So be on the lookout, hmm. right? <laughs> I'm going to do a home invasion on you and take all of your culture. <laughs> Right, um, this is this is ridiculous, right? Yeah. You know, um, that's the that's the thing is, you know, liberalism also wants to draw these, you know, like you're a black person, you must fit into this, you know, neat little box, and you can't go outside of it. And cultural appropriation, you know, and now you hear you hear black people complaining about, you know, so and so is incorporating hip hop. Hip hop is just what it's it's music, it's notes, it's rhythms. Are you kidding me? What, do you think you have an intellectual property right to that? This is Mm. insane. Instead of wanting to uh, constantly, why don't you just continue to make your culture better? And I feel like uh, cultural appropriation, even though the term has such a negative connotation, the more this happens, the more other cultures appreciate other cultures. And I feel like that would aid in, you know, uh, the intermingling of people. Right. Like it's like, oh, you're doing this because you find a benefit and this is something my culture created. And it's like, OK, well, what do you do? And it's yeah, I feel like that's how you you create community. Right. It's because it's not yeah. like you're, you're I'm coming. I'm stealing something from you and I'm going to take it. And yeah, number um, one, I, I can't take, you know, if I if I say, you know <coughs> what, I really like, uh, I don't know, like I have some Palestinian friends. I really like Makluba. So I'm going to come and I'm going to. I'm gonna I'm gonna start making makluba for dinner every night, right? Well, it's cultural. Uh, okay, even if I make makluba for a breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single night, does that stop Palestinians from still eating makluba? Does it still stop them from being? I don't know. I I, I don't know if they're the originators of makluba. But I'm saying like, does that take anything away from them? I think I this think this is ridiculous. I think where people get upset is uh, I don't know if you remember was it last year or the year before there was like this this new health craze of like turmeric. Remember that? Everyone was on oh turmeric pills. It's like yeah. It's good for your inflammation and all that stuff. And you know uh uh you know our cultures we 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 cook a lot with yeah. that with that spice and uh 
it's just normal to us. But it wasn't that craze and and that that you know that wasn't capitalized on by us it was like white people right you know they they're the ones who had they were selling all these yeah, the same with Miss Swack, if you remember that yeah but i'm sorry so, but so that i think that goes back to a lack of want to make a bunch of lack of imagination we could have made we've been using it why didn't we make money on it why did someone else exactly. you know what There's i mean nothing stopping you and, 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 and if white people want to make, you know, turmeric pills or turmeric smoothies or whatever, what does that got to do with you, man? Oh, well, they, uh, they took that for me. I, I, I'm the one who's using turmeric. They, they took it and now they're making money on it and I'm not making money on it. So I'm upset. Yeah, well, I guess you're going to. Not just, me personally, yeah, yeah. but you know what I mean? I, I, um, I, I think I just personally, I think all of this, uh, some you know, people are allowing themselves to be coached into misery. Ooh. You know, it's like there, there's, there's like some life coach out there just coaching people to constantly be miserable about this or that versus, you know, I, be happy about who you are. Uh, work on making yourself better. Uh, and uh, you, you also never know what you will get in the exchange of that uh, of that so-called appropriate. That's such a stupid term. Honestly, that, you want to can- cancel the term cultural appropriation. <laughs> That's such a stupid term. Imam Mark, do you have any advice for a, you know, like a young Muslim, like I'm talking 20 to 30, African-American specifically? I mean, we can't really speak to any of those kinds of experiences. Um, And I think we've never discussed this topic on the podcast really because we're not, we have, you know, no say, no experience at all. But, you know, my, our, our viewership is varied, but we are in that, we are in that age range. So is there any specific advice you would have? Um, so I w- the, in, in the spirit of giving advice I would actually challenge your assumption your false assumption why can't you give black people advice it's because you're not black who said that you cannot give black people advice because you're not black this is again where are we getting these ideas from this is nonsense when we were when we were walking in here both of you told me I mean okay Munir you said that you're a seminary student but you work uh, as a biomedical engineer so you made COVID. Okay, so made COVID. <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and I mean, you said you're a civil engineer. No. Okay. And okay, you're a seminary student. You're not, but both of you seem to take your Islam very seriously, right? Um, but you also know that just being a student of knowledge, it ain't gonna cut it. You have a two and a half year old son. Inshallah, you and your wife hope to have kids soon, right? Uh, all the knowledge in the world ain't going to feed no babies. You know what I mean? All the religious knowledge in the world ain't going to put no bread on, on the table, right? So why would you not feel comfortable to say, you know what, I really think that African Americans should, uh, uh, as Muslims, should definitely learn their religion, but should also maximize their earning power. Right. Especially given their historical predicament <clears throat> of having been disenfranchised from economic empowerment. Why can you, as Egyptian and Lebanese, Lebanese, why can you not go tell some black people, hey man, get your money right. Get your dean right and get your money right. Why is that not appropriate? So I think, to be fair, that's, that's general advice. Because that's what I would tell, uh, to, to answer your question, that would be my answer. 
All right. Get so your dean right and get your money right. That's yeah. no different than advice we give to anyone else. So I think the point he was trying to make is we couldn't give black appropriate advice, if like specific, if you want to put it that way. Like no, no, to speak to an experience that we don't have. Not yeah. general advice. Like of course, get your. Do dean you right. have any empirical evidence to support that theory that you cannot give black specific advice? There's no. I don't have any empir. No, I don't. But this is just. But you're operating no. on that assumption that you can't. Yes. Well, no. This is just based on my reading of the you know socio political blogosphere landscape, whatever you want to call tell you it. About black this people. is this is you can't the whole like the whole well this is okay. I mean, let's be frank, right? The whole race discussion has become so charged that I myself feel like okay, you know what? There are just some red lines for me that I'm not going to cross because I really I don't want to I don't want to make anyone upset. I don't want to step on any toes. So I'm just going to ask whoever is the you know expert or the person who you well know. i'm not an expert on blackness i am black but i'm not yeah, an expert yeah. on black that's right there's a difference <laughs> okay. right well, you know, so what <laughs> i'm saying is that you know let me tell you something about my own people okay okay yes we live in a moment where always some vocal minority is making a lot of noise but overall black people tend to be fairly chill and fairly open to other cultures okay right um uh we tend to be, you know, hey, if that's something, if that's something, especially you talking about money, hey, man, if, if you give me some advice, something that can put some extra bread in my pocket, I'm probably going to take that advice, right? Yeah. Um, buy assets. And don't so buy what I mean is that like I don't feel, I, I really, again, I highly benefited in the early part of my life of being heavily influenced by non-black people, Right? I have a very solid black identity, right? Here I am, almost 50 years old, grumpy, bald, old black man, right? But I am, I'm very comfortable in my skin. But I have benefited my whole entire life by being influenced by and learning from other cultures. Hmm. And so I say this that, yes, my advice would be learn your dean and get a good paying uh, career, hmm. skill, right? I mean, I when I worked in IT, and this is something that always used to really make my blood boil. <laughs> All this talk about you know structural racism. Hey, look, man, when I worked in IT at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm not talking about just at the School of Design, like in like there was decentralized mm -hmm. IT, so you'd work for you, but then there was also just the IT at the whole school. You know, Penn is a huge school. So you're talking about hundreds of IT employees. Man, I was like one of three brothers working up in there. And we used to what make me angry is that why are there not more black people in IT? It's the one industry. Nobody cares if you even have a degree. I didn't graduate from, despite what Ahmed Yunus said, <laughs> I didn't graduate from college until 2012. You know, I, you know, I spent my, I converted to Islam 18, spent my 20s studying Islam, and then spent my 30s kind of trying to figure out who I was going to be, and then, you know, got on with life. So I didn't graduate until I was almost 40 years old, right? Uh, and so <laughs> I worked in IT, though, most of that time, making good money. Why? Nobody cares. As long as you can do the job. As long as you can code, program, install, what nobody really cares. And so 
If indeed higher education is a barrier to African Americans because of the prohibitive cost, which, okay, fine, then why not go into IT? Learn to code. I did. I taught myself web development. I didn't didn't go to any school for that stuff. And that's before all the online resources. Oh, this is way, I mean, oh man, if I had had YouTube in my 20s, forget about it, right? So I did all of this way, you know, before that. And it's again, I'd be like one of three, three black people working in IT. Why? Why aren't you going into this field? Right? What do you, and it used to drive, when I was at, when I did go to Temple, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I would kick it with the Black Student Union and other, like, oh, what are you getting your degree in? Uh, black studies. Black studies? Bro, just, you know, just buy some books on you, put them on you. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to go do all that. African American women's studies, English stu- You plan to eat with that degree? <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, the Kashmiri sister, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going into biology and then pre-med. Oh, what's the, what's the Korean cat? Oh, uh, he's doing business or he's doing uh, computer science. Every black person was like some humanities degree. What are you doing? You're shooting yourself in the foot. You don't need to go, if a black person, you don't need to go and study African-American studies. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Do you see Arabs going there and getting a degree in Islamic sciences? No, they're not, I'm going to be a mohandas, I'm going to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Like, what are you thinking? This is what I'm saying. The imagination and the thinking process, we have to challenge it. For the betterment, not to, uh, you know, to be self-hating or berating black people. No, no, no. We got to start making better decisions, right? That's what it comes down to. No, I don't believe any of this eugenics nonsense. It's just that some people have better, and sometimes that decision-making process has gone from being only the individual to a cultural thinking process, Hmm. right? I mean, if you break it down to the individual level, in my experience, being Muslim for 30 years, I see Arabs, Pakistanis, Nigerians, Indonesia, I see them all making horrible decisions sometimes. But one decision they don't make that's horrible is their career. Right, they make some. They might make yeah. some other bad decisions in their life, but one thing that they don't tend to make we secure the bread collectively. Yeah, right. And so that means that you don't have to only rely on your personal genius. This is one of the uplifting aspects of culture. So black people need to have. A, we need to have a new conversation in Black America to have a new kind of black culture that is. You know what? Nah, man, you can't go and become. Uh, uh, a teacher, okay, mm. I'm not saying, you know, somebody's got to teach, but I'm just saying, you're not all going to aspire to something greater. At least, you know, like I always laugh, like, you know, in, 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 in a, lot, a lot of parts of the out of world, right, it's like the people that couldn't cut it as a doctor or lawyer and engineer, that's who becomes the imam. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> you know what? That might not be a half bad plan to have. Now it's like, you know, the opposite. Like, you know, you go into all these humanities and it's the rare person that becomes a doctor, lawyer, and engineer. No, man, flip that stuff. We need to have a new imagination. So my advice to, you know, young uh, black American Muslims would be absolutely learn your deen because one, there's no guarantee. Learn your deen so that you go back to Allah in the best condition that you can be in. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, and we don't know... We don't, tomorrow is not promised. And so indeed, 
That being said, you don't have to chew up your whole 20s like I did, right? Learning a slam, right? So my, you know, learn your dean, do it, do it quick and fast, and then secure a skill. And particularly in this emerging global kind of civilization that we have, get something you could pick up your sticks and your marbles and take them somewhere else. You know, start thinking cosmopolitan and global. You know, uh, start thinking about, you know, truly generational, you know. Um, you know, th think about what it would be like for you to be able to take your family on Hajj. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I know so many, you know, so-called immigrant Muslim, Desi, Arab, whatever, that, you know, you see them, not all of them, but many of them. They go to Hajj, they go to Amrah, they go this and that, they travel, right? Black people, we don't go nowhere. Why? We ain't got the money, right? But you know what? Give your children those experiences, hmm. you know? Give them that experience. Um, I, I think in some ways we need to expand blackness as uh, it, it needs to break out of its kind of, you know, parochial, colloquial, you know, uh, it's hemmed in. Yeah, um, I feel like with the liberal, with the liberal uh, dialogue, it's, it's like in a box, like you said. Um, to the point that when, even if you have a, a black conservative, who you may or may not agree with, that there's white liberals calling that person an Uncle Tom, which I just think But is, you know what, to keep so, it real though? Okay, yeah, that, white uh, people uh, might do that, but you know, yeah, who's, you know who's the biggest... Uh, 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 antagonist of black conservatives black liberals we can talk about white people calling black people uncle tom who cares right but let me tell you the biggest adversary that you will face will be other black people right black people mm. are in many ways the you know and dr j has talked about this some of the biggest white supremacists are black people he where did he you said Dr. J, talking about yeah, Dr. Sherman Jackson. Dr. Right? Sherman Jackson, okay. right? I mean, you know, in terms of we have been programmed to accept the precepts and the concepts mm -hmm. of, right? And so we come to, I mean, we talk about all this, you know, colorism, colorism. Some of the most color struck people on the planet are black people. And we can't all say it's because of, oh, you know, it was because of col colonialism may, colonialism or slavery may have indeed amplified, but it did not always be the inception for it. I mean, you go to, you, you go to Sudan in some of their poetry and singing, you know, what, what do they call a beautiful woman? Because, you know, people from Sudan are dark, right? What do they call a beautiful Sudani woman? I don't know. Lemuni. Lemon. Well, a lemon is what? It's kind of lighter in color. Like, look, we have to be honest about ourselves. Yes, indeed, colonialism and racism, uh, 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 white supremacy, they played their roles at certain parts in history. But we also yeah. have to be honest that some parts are also just internal. Well, we cannot offload everything onto whiteness. That's why now we have this idea that the biggest problem in the world is white supremacy. And if we could just, man, if we could just solve this white supremacy problem, there'll be no problems tomorrow. There'll be no more stealing, no more murder, uh, no more, I mean, no more everything. Like we'll get rid of all of the, all immorality will be solved if we just get rid of, you know, white supremacy. This is nonsense. 
right? There's always this, you know, fictive, uh, fictitious, uh, you know, uh, utopian kind of uh, ideology. Um, there is only there is no Jannah but Jannah. That 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 is very well stated. You know, there's no Jannah but Jannah, and so as long as we keep. You know, this is why I said to you yesterday, and for many Muslims, the greatest sin now is racism, racism not shirk. Yeah. Right? And you see Muslims, you have people that pass away. Clearly not a Muslim. Mushrik. Clearly rest a Muslim. In, rest in peace, this and that, right? You don't know what his right? heart, what's in his heart. You don't know what's in his heart. Okay, you don't know what was in Osama bin Laden's heart either when he died. <laughs> Some when they buried when they buried him when they gave him his janazah at sea, I'm still looking for that one in the in the abuab of the books of fiqh. I'm still trying to find that janazah at sea, right? You don't know what was maybe he repented. Saddam Hussein made shahada before he got hung. Yeah, man, you know Qaddafi. You don't know what was in his heart when they choked him out on the streets and shot him and did whatever they did to him, right? You don't know. Now, will you find anybody that go? Oh, may Allah have mercy on him. Oh no, man! I can't be saying no rahimahullah to uh, 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 Bin Laden, man. Are you kidding me? Chuck is breathing down my neck, man. Right? So, and again, I'm not saying that, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, right? But I'm, you know, I remember in Philadelphia years ago, when I was living there, some unfortunately heavily misguided young people committed an atrocious crime. First, they dressed up as Muslim women, men. They dressed up as Muslim women Whoa. in niqab. Whoa. Wait, where was this? Philly. In Philly, okay. And then they went and robbed, it was either a store or a bank. Wow. And in the process of trying to get away, they killed a police officer. Okay. And when that happened, of course, this is, you know, post 9-11, man, nobody wanted to touch them. Nobody wanted to deal with them. And some people were like, man, we should bury them as kafirs. And I said, hey, 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 hey. What they did was heinous. And what they did was a major sin. But they are still Muslim, and they are still owed the rights of Muslims. Now, I don't, I'm not saying it's got to be a big gathering, but three minimum. people, they got to wash their body, and they got to pray for them. I don't care who they are. That's what they get as a Muslim. Right? And so we've arrived at that time now where you have people that commit heinous crimes, all of their rights as a Muslim are stripped. And then you have people that die clearly outside of Islam and they're bestowed that which Allah forbade for his messenger. When Abu Talib died, you can't go make dua for him. Even when he wanted to visit his mother's grave. Now you can cry, you can get emotional, but you can't make no dua. Yeah, so people would understand, like, wow. saying rest in peace, you're trying to say, Rahimullah, in a sense. No, what is rest in peace? What is yeah. rest in peace? Meaning what? You will not be subjected to any, your your outcome your, in the, your, your outcome in the, in, in, in the hereafter is going to go to Jannah. So we can, as Muslims, we cannot pray for you can, a non-Muslim after they die. As a Muslim, you cannot, and as a Muslim as well, as a Muslim and as a Muslim, you cannot pray for somebody who has died outside of Islam. Now, as I always say, is the caveat. Just because I don't pray for a person, look, if whatever is, you don't know what happened in his heart, if that's true, then he will go to Jannah or she will go to Jannah. If that's what Allah has determined for them. Mm -hmm. 
whether I pray for them or don't look who we pray for or who we don't pray for. That is not the ultimate arbiter of where people go or don't go. What it is about woman, it's about fearing and respecting the position of your Lord. Allah said, don't pray for those who did not clearly die upon Islam. Full stop. Now, where'd they go? As we say, Allahu A'lam. Allah There's knows. rules for you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his own. Hey, That's it. And, and therefore, it ain't about the person. It's about me and my Lord. Allah has given me a command. <laughs> that's it. We listen, we hear, we obey. We obey. Right? And that's the part we didn't even get to, right? Is that what is one of the big problems with liberalism? Is it makes the self, the its God. emotions, yeah. and its experiences the determiner of truth, good, and beauty. And morality. Well, good, truth, and beauty. Okay. Right? Yeah. It, 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 it's, the, it's the author. Uh, 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 of all morality, of truth. What? So therefore, if I feel away, think away, whatever, right? There's no idea that you know what I have to. I have to sub. I have to. Um, I have to. I have to bring my feelings in alignment, even though I may not like it. Yep. You know, I may have really liked Black Panther. I may have really liked that movie, and Bo- Chad- Chadwick Boseman seemed like a really cool dude. And I saw him having a conversation with Omar Suleiman, and he seemed like, you know what, he probably was a, he, seemed, he seems like a, 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 an honestly really nice person. But he did not die on Islam in any way that you or I can recognize. And so all I'm saying is, it is a disobedient act to flagrantly make dua for him, though. Allah has commanded us not to do so. Hmm. Simple as that. Now again, you could pray for him a hundred thousand times. That ain't got nothing to do with what's going to happen to him. It's, or, it's, for, it's, it's about you and your relationship with Allah. It's about you and Allah. It ain't about you. That person, man, you know, it's done now. That's what people don't understand. But they said, no, 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 no. My feelings are king. My feelings, you know, are both the qalam and the lawh. And I think that that is, that is the, you know, the biggest issue. If that gets in your heart, where the the idea is that your feelings are king, you know, because you can you can you I see these you know the, these altercations on Facebook, not altercations, you know, whatever people arguing back and forth, and it's like, well, it just doesn't feel right. Why can't I say rest in peace? You know, people. Oh, I feel bad about it, so I feel uncomfortable. So it must okay, not be. It must be wrong, and that's that's no, no, part no. of that's that people are uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Because the they idea have been, of they have been coddled. They've been coached into being creatures of comfort, and therefore religion <clears throat> is the only purpose of religion is to make me comfortable. And the minute it don't make me comfortable, I'm throwing it right out the window. Like people cannot be re- like some people cannot be religious and uncomfortable. To me, that's when people say, oh, "I'm spiritual but not religious." Oh, that means you are not capable of being uncomfortable. That was actually the, our previous guest. We just had uh, uh, you know Abdurrahman Haikal with Peace and Power, and he has like a, he coaches people in fitness, and he has like a ten week program, and majority of it isn't really about working out and do these reps. He's just addressing you as a person and one of the weeks it's he literally makes you do something uncomfortable 
part of his process is he finds out like your biggest fear. Yeah. And then he makes you face it. Like there was a guy who was scared of the ocean. And then they did a workout at the beach and at the end of the workout, he like pulls out swim trucks. He's like, we're doing this. So he made that guy go through some sort of adversity, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's just, that's not what's going on nowadays. If it's not easy, it's not for me. If it's mm-hmm. hard, if it doesn't make me feel good, if it's uncomfortable, then it's wrong. It's evil. It's not the truth. And anything that is the truth should make me feel good. Uh, and what's funny is like Moeen Bain makes a very good point about this. He said, think about the toughest universities to get into, the prestige of all of these things, Harvard, Yale, Ivy League, UC grad schools. Are they easy? Are these one? Are they easy to get into? No. Is there struggle while you're in there? Yes. Sure. The, everything about it is struggle, struggle, struggle. Med school, law school. Think about any upper division thing. The more struggle, the more prestige. And yet when it comes to religion and God Almighty, it's got to be easy. If I have to struggle a little bit, it must not be the one for me. <coughs> you, you put that center on anything but your own religion with God. It seems, you know, out of sorts. And they've twisted it where, ironically, the one area that, re- that religion should comfort us in is in our pain, in times of difficulty. And you will find people, man, you know, like when they experience something traumatic in their life, instead of utilizing religion to help comfort in them that, man, they leave, they wind up leaving the faith. They lose their faith. And that's because those are the same people all along that have been trying to employ religion to somehow uh, secure them or to essentially dodge the draft of life where they don't have to go through difficulties, right? I mean, you know, look, man, I've been praying, fasting, man, where's my <coughs> stuff? Yeah, Allah, man, where, where, yo, man, where's my Pro- stuff? Prosperity doctrine. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and so ironically, when you get to some real deep, dark, heavy stuff in their life, they ain't got nothing left and they don't know how to Im- employ religion in their life in the correct way and they become faithless. I mean, in my opinion, I know this will be very, contra- well, some, some people might. This is what I feel happened with, with like Anthony Bourdain. You have Anthony Bourdain, he's like one of these real snarky dudes, you know, right? And when it came time when life hit him with some stuff, he couldn't deal. You know, and then now people want to say, oh, mental health, mental health. That's such an overdiagnosed term. As yeah. if like what? People that have mental health also maybe just don't have bad character. You know, Muslims have, have been unfortunately coached uh, into viewing <coughs> the, the, the objective of religion is to live a good life. Live a good, easy life. Versus, well, you know, live a good life versus to how to get out of life. We're all going to be like the in the Wally movie. Yeah. yeah. Atheists say the same thing, by the way. My coworkers that they'll talk about when they want to talk about religion or whatever say, like, none of them are religious, obviously, because that's the world we live in. Say, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about leaving the world better than you left it or something. But it's like, where, where are you coming up with these ideas or this good, right? They're just what you talked mm-hmm. about. Like, this is literally what they talk. They have no other way and, to cope. And you find the Muslims now adopting this, this so about having a good life. Yeah. Define good. I, I didn't want to push back. Number one, <laughs> it's already been defined as good. You're, 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 you're acting and behaving. Okay, the atheist, the Kafir, fine, I get it. They're not Muslim. But yeah. why are you, the Muslim, acting as if goodness has already not been defined? It has been completely defined and, def, you know, and, 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 and refined. And, and, and It's been written in all but stone by Allah and his messenger. 
Like that is what good is. It's in that book and it's in his life, Study it, learn it. Right? Then you will know what is good. Versus this ever continually evolving, in my opinion, devolving. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, if we can go from just 100 years ago to essentially being there in Ijma on planet Earth, that sodomy is disgusting and wrong, to where there's now almost a new emergent Ijma that it's good. This shows you. Yeah. Right? This has to show you, like, this is why we have this timeless book and this message to tell us what is good, right? It tells us, and, and so therefore, if I encounter somebody that does something that is outside of that, it doesn't mean I have to strip them of any value as a human being, but it also doesn't mean I'm going to allow them to abrogate what has already been defined as good. Agreed. Especially for somebody that's going to wink in and out of existence in a blink of an eye. And it comes in this life and <laughs> like this. pees and poops on themselves and might even leave in the same state if they live long enough. Right? Yeah. And I'm going to let this one be the arbiter of truth? I, I don't think so. So I think to summarize that point, it's, you know, and this is general advice for everybody. Learn your Islam. Learn your deen. Find a teacher. If you don't have a teacher by you, there are many online programs you can enroll in. There is CIU, California Islamic University. There's our lovely IOK, Institute of Knowledge. Um, Imam Mark, I think you also do some uh, online programs that you post, right, every now and then? Very little. I, I, I focus mainly on in-person learning. Which is the best? If you're uh, able to make it out you know, to... People ask me, okay, is, is the class going to be recorded? No. no. <laughs> I, I, I occasionally put things up, and I'll put up little short videos, but no. My main, like I teach a Tefsir class every week and whatnot, and that's, like I said, sometimes it goes for like three hours. Wow. Uh, no, I'm not just putting that up on the internet. Because number one, nobody paid. No, trust me. When I've done that on a few occasions, I look at the, the YouTube analytics. Nobody watches that stuff. Nobody's really, and this is why Muslims are ignorant. Come on, you can literally have a PhD in any topic, uh, in any Islamic science of what's available now on YouTube. Nobody watches this. So how, the Muslims are still, you know, this is all this, this, this uh, posted YouTube, I mean, show up, you know. And like, with, and like in real life, like don't just, yeah, learn your dean, but then continue some professional development, right? Continue uh, to find a trade. That's that's the whether I mean, it's even a, in your Islam. I mean, even like yeah. I mean, <clears throat> learn your deen, then go get a career, and then for the rest of your life, try to develop these both, especially your deen. No, nah. right? Because I, I find that you know sometimes Muslims kind of get an, an arrested development when it comes to their religion. Mm. You know, they may they may really go far in their career. But then, you know, there's still... Uh, Some peak in MSA. Yeah, exactly. You peak in your college years, which is, yeah. Continue your professional development, you know. Yeah. Um, and that means that, you know, invest in your community. You know, you know in, 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 uh, invest in uh, people being able to do this kind of thing full time. Like I tell people, you know, um, I'm able to do what I do at Middle Ground because I do it full time. 
if I did it part time, it would not have the same efficacy. Hmm. Would not have the same intensity. Would not have the same uh, inshallah benefit. You know, there's a benefit from having a teacher that can, you know, or having institutions that can operate where you have some, you know, some people that do this thing, you know, full time. You know, so so uh, you know, think about institution building. Think about uh, uh, and, and and when I say institution building, building and in, you know, investing in yourself. Investing in yourself. So, do you mean like the, you're talking about like the financial side of things, or you of mean course. just like I mean, IOK doesn't run on dua. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it, right. but no, they have a whole team of people who manage the 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 finances and they manage the. Uh, what's I the mean, fund called? Sister Sarah <laughs> that works in the front desk in administration or whatever. I mean, she doesn't pay her rent on dua. No. Or whatever. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. Yeah. the people that work here, they're not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and of course, you know, many, you know, many hands make light, make light work. So, you know, if, if, uh, if people collectively work together, then, yeah, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then you bring, you can really bring some, you know, mass benefit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, this is why I feel, you know, to, to, I guess to compliment this and maybe the, the, you know, the, the last part about white supremacy uh, all this, you know, racism. Look, man. If 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 Muslims don't get serious about giving da'wah to white people in America, I don't think this project's gonna work. You know, that's the you. I, we can't just close on a statement. You know, <laughs> there, do you, do you do you need to go? Do you have another commitment? Uh, a wife texting me, "Where are you?" Every twenty minutes. She's like, "Man, I'm with this dude." Okay, just just give it, shoot her a message real quick. Be like, you know, be like I'll, the conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll nah, make it real we short. Right? We, we don't gotta end. So I was watching The Matrix yesterday. I don't gotta be nowhere. Right, I was oh, watching you, you The support, Matrix. I know you support them, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know they came out right. The the brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're crazy. They're and crazy. The, no, but not just that. The Matrix it's always been <laughs> has been and always been a trans story. No, like I'm that sure. was, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to culturally appropriate the Matrix now for my own, right? So I had actually written down, you know, because it struck me. You know, we had, we had had our conversation. Yeah. Then I wound up watching the Matrix. And then there's that, that sort of dialogue, almost monologue in the training part between Morpheus yeah. and Neo. And the second one where he has the agent program with the woman in the red dress. Okay. And he says, you know, freeze the program. Yeah. And then they have this conversation about who the agents are. Right. And so uh, he says that, you know, there are these, you know, Neil asked, well, who are these agents? He said, they're sentient programs. I'm going to read you the dialogue. I wrote it down. He said, well, they can move in and out of any software hardwired to their system. That means that anyone we haven't unplugged is potentially an agent. Right. Inside the matrix, they are everyone and they are no one. But this part especially, so we have survived by hiding from them and by running from them. And this is what I feel about both immigrant Islam in America and also black Islam in America. We're we running from have, white people? We have, been, we have survived mainly by running from whiteness and hiding from whiteness. And now we're kind of like that barking dog, but we're not really engaging whiteness, right? And he said, they are the gatekeepers, right? Historically, has Islam been able to take root in a place if the predominant group of people didn't embrace Islam? No, eventually they convert. 
right? Yeah. Um, right? He said, they are guarding all the doors. They are holding all the keys. Now, what I mean by this is not that if all white people don't convert to Islam, that it's not successful. But they are guarding the doors in many ways to our own self-actualization because we're so concerned about them. You know, to a great degree, we might talk all this stuff today about white supremacy, but to a large degree, we're still running from them. They still define how we think, how we even, our, our creative process, our imaginative process, right? He says, which means that sooner or later, someone is going to have to fight them. Now, I'm not saying we fight, but sooner or later, we're going to have to engage, engage white society seriously on the da'wah tip. Right, we're going to have to sear if we got to get. We cannot. We most certainly cannot proceed with this attitude of anti-whiteness. I mean, as you mentioned, right? I think Jordan Peterson was supposed to have Hamza Yusuf on his yeah, podcast, or vice versa, or whatnot. Canceled. And this this campaign ensued of like not only wanting to cancel Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. Happens like every you week. Know, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, occasionally Sheikh Hamza, I love him, but occasionally he says some stuff that also sometimes is not always the best. Yeah. <clears throat> but again, canceling people, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry. You know, for, for the people that have their issues with, with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, you know what? The man built a university. You know what? Show me what you've done. And that was like one I'm, thing. I'm that sorry, he did. but it's like, you know what? This man alone, probably since Malcolm X, is responsible for the most people either becoming Muslim or remaining in Islam in the Western world. Now, I've had my critiques of Sheikh Hamza, but I'm sorry. He is hands down one of the greatest da'iyat of our age. And, and the man has gone on to build a university. And I'm not saying this. I'm, 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 I'm not affiliated with Zaytuna. I'm not Sufi. I'm not Ash'ari, I am Maliki, but I, I, I'm not a Zaytunite, I'm not a Sheikh Hamzaite, I'm not a fanboy. I'm just being honest. Hmm. He, is the, he, he is like the greatest living da'iyat. I mean, okay, maybe he and Bilal Phillips could have like a, you know, some type of cage match, you know, of <laughs> um, terms of who is the greatest da'i, right, in the, in, in the modern time, right? So I say, that, you know, they want to go cancel this man. Are you out of your mind? Right, and then they wanted to make du'a that uh, Jordan Peterson Jordan doesn't Peterson convert. Would, wouldn't wouldn't be guided to Islam. And this moratoriums is, on masajid to not give right? him uh, to not like this, help him convert. This, like this, he is to convert. this kind no, of craven no, attitude no, that crazy. Morpheus was crazy. talking about to Neo. Yeah, you that know, was nuts. at some point <laughs> you gotta you gotta confront these agents because then it's not about the agents; it's about you. You only say these things if you think you have control over guidance. Like someone, you have to, like, I mean, that's like an act of shit. You can't possibly be like, don't convert this man. Unless yeah. you actually think you have control over guidance. Well, it's funny. It actually was like that man, the, that kind of raw Bedouin man that said to the prophet, eventually, okay, I accept Islam. May Allah have mercy on me <laughs> and upon Muhammad and nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> And the prophet like, like, you have constricted something very vast. You are, you are attempting to constrict something very vast. That's like this kind of woke, anti-white nonsense we have now. Right? And that means that yeah. part, of, part of being Muslim, part of giving da'wah is to deal with people that, you know what, man, some of these people, you don't really like everything about them. Do you think the prophet, I mean, the prophet like something mm -hmm. loved his people? At the same time, 
He went to war with them. Right? They start they but, starved but, his community but, at some point. They his, yeah, they right. killed they killed his family. They killed like, his family. Even yeah. when, when Wahshi, you know, finally accepted Islam, he was like, Hey man, I don't want to see your face. Cause, you know, Hamza for me, you know, people forget the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and mm-hmm. Hamza. It wasn't just his uncle. You know, they were wet nurse together. So because of their proximity of age, they were close. It's more like a big brother. Yeah. To see your big brother get speared to death on the battlefield. And then the dude that killed him is like, oh, yeah, I'm part of your community now. Even the Prophet Sallallahu was like, you know, alhamdulillah, that's good for you. But, man, I can't, I, I can't, I can't deal with seeing your face. And that's something for Muslim, us Muslims here we got to work past. Because and if so, someone is racist and they want to be a Muslim, it's like, oh, well, I don't really like him being a Muslim. It's like, well, if being a Muslim is going to help get rid of him being a racist, like, why wouldn't you? Not only just that, okay. Not, it, racist it, is one thing, but like a, any, it's any gonna person. It's going to help the overall project of Islam, and it's going to help society, right? Because, okay, that person, he could become Muslim and still maybe remain a racist. I mean, in fact, you know, there are racist Muslims, right? True. But to raise the water level overall, even though, okay, maybe that boat has some holes in it, but I want to raise the water level overall for the possibility of this whole project. I want to raise the potential and the possibility for the for human for man for the human story for mankind that means i'm gonna have to sometimes allow some people to be a part of this thing that i personally don't really have a lot of love for yeah you can respect but them. i'm in that i don't even have just i'm invested in this overall project yeah right because number one it's allah's desire what he wants to bring mankind out of darkness into light. Well, how are you going to bring people, how are you going to bring people from darkness to light? What do you think? Everybody's going to be, you're bringing, uh, you're bringing Abu Bakr's, you're bringing, uh, I mean, no, no, you're going to bring people with darkness. You know, I mean, they got mm. people with bad character, people with all kinds of faults. What do you think? That's going to be an easy uh, process? It's not going to be like uh, a 22-minute episode of uh, Thundercats. <laughs> You know, it's going to be a major process. Yeah. You know, they want to make it like a Hanna-Barbera production where it's like in the span of 19 minutes, you know, all problems are solved. Impossible. You guys are probably too young to know about Hanna-Barbera, but it's okay. I know Thundercats. Okay. Okay. Thundercats was the... Yeah, yeah. That was like the, the <laughs> probably the last bit of a <laughs> reference I get from that era. <laughs> but no, it's... Uh, I, I, it just was funny. I wound up, you know... Yeah, watching that uh, yesterday, and uh, it just made me think. Like, yeah, you know, at some point, Islam in America has got to get serious about giving dawah to everybody. But we, the, if the overall population is white, right, so right. that's what. It like is. we we've yeah. been in, in some ways, I would say, you know, the overall project of Islam, which is like just statistically, there's more immigrants than black people, right? So the the project of Islam has been limping along and hiding. By just giving da'wah to black people. Which, alhamdulillah. Right? That's great. But we cannot suffice ourselves and think that we have achieved some great achievement as Muslims by just giving da'wah to black people and giving the, you know, certain body appendage to white people. This is ridiculous. This is not going to work. Hmm. 
I think this is a. I think this is a great note uh, to end it off. I think the I think the machine will just shut down now. Yeah, we already have a little bit of technical difficulties. Besides, so. I think if uh, Munir mentions my name around his wife again, yeah, then, uh, no, 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 no. So, with that, thank you, Imam Mark, for being on the podcast with us. Jazakallah khairan for your time and uh, nothing to apologize for. Nothing Sorry for, I told you I can't say my name in, in two hours, let alone, you know. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> it was an amazing conversation. Um, so with that, this is Amr Mabrook with the Prophetic Mentality Podcast signing off. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum.